I'm Tara Lake, and this is The Tara Lake Show. Welcome back. I'm so grateful that you're here for the return of The Tara Lake Show. Whether you're returning or joining me for the very first time, welcome. I hope you'll stay for the entire eight-episode season. Today, I have a special interview to share. Back in March, the talented and intrepid Emily Ford took on Wisconsin's Ice Age Trail and made history in the process. She's only the first woman and second person ever to complete the hike in winter. And when she braved those below zero degree temperatures, she also blazed a trail for inclusion and diversity. I sat down with Emily to discuss her accomplishments in May 2021. And now I'm so pleased to be sharing this interview with you. Emily Ford is the celebrated solo through hiker who made history a couple of months back on March 6, 2021, when she became the first woman and only the second person ever to complete a winter through hike of the 1,200-mile Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin. Ford is also the first African-American and first LGBTQ person ever to achieve this distinction. She set out on December 28, 2020, and hiked in the dead of winter, amid an unprecedented pandemic and a roiling social justice movement. She did so, in part, to make a statement about racial justice and inclusion in America. A master gardener by trade, Emily Ford is based in Duluth, Minnesota, and spoke to us from her home there earlier this month. I'm just going to jump right in because um, what you've done is so extraordinary, and I, I want to hear more about what your inspiration was. So um, why did you decide uh, to take this 1,200-mile trek, the Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin over this past winter, I guess? What made you do this? Yeah, well, I mean, it originally just started out before. It, it was just, um, I don't know, I like backpacking. <laughs> That's good. I w- sometimes I wish I had like a more lengthy answer, but um, I hadn't been on a trip in a couple years. Mm-hmm. And so I um, I asked a friend about a trail that she thought would be long enough, a thousand miles or more. And she's like, oh, yeah, this trail over in Wisconsin. I was like, oh. Okay, sounds great. And I just kind of put it on the calendar for winter 2020, 2021 and started like collecting gear and stuff because sometimes it can be a little expensive to go on through hikes like this. And by sometimes I mean most of the time it's pretty expensive. So I like just started collecting stuff and saving up a bit of money and finding gear wherever I could and started researching. And then, um, you know, as as 2020 kind of unfolded, and especially here in Minnesota, we had like the murder of George Floyd and Banner Taylor and all of these different people were dying and being murdered. And so I saw a bunch of people of color like stepping up to the plate and like, you know, finding where they fit in in the social justice movement and everything like that. And I was like, man, I am not much of a protester. I'm not much of a picketer. Like I'll donate stuff and money. And I'm like, I feel like there's a better spot for me kind of in this movement. And um, when I started really thinking about this trip, I'm like, this is, this is, I think this is where I fit in. This is what makes sense. It's something I'm passionate about. It's something that comes natural to me. Um, and it's something where you don't really see a whole lot of people of color doing, although there are plenty, I mean, not plenty, there could always be more, but um, there are quite a few people of color, black folks who are out backpacking and in and, and the outdoors, but I just wanted to bring more awareness to that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have done such an amazing job in your um, media work and in your outreach, emphasizing the importance of identity and representation. I, I should also point out for our listeners that I thought that perhaps I could not get that all into the introduction, <laughs> in addition to being the first woman to make this winter through hike. You are also only the second person to have done so. You're the first African-American to have done so. And you're the first uh, person who identifies as gay to have done so. Um, So you have again and again lifted up the importance of all of those identities and the importance of nature being for everybody. And I just wanted to come back to that. Thank you so much for bringing out like the importance of racial justice. Last month in April, 2021, 
Emily Ford took to Instagram to salute her sister, an African-American police officer in Minnesota, and situated her sister's work within the movement for racial and social justice. I wanted to ask Ford about the importance of these movements in her own work. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about why that might be important to you, like on a personal level. Um, I noticed that on social media, you shared um, the story of your your sister and your pride in her work. Um, and just, I, I wonder, as a woman who has grown up in Minnesota, um, as a woman who identifies as mixed race as well, um, like how, how do all those things come together for you and your sister's work and, and all of that? For sure. Yeah, well, I grew up in the Twin Cities, kind of where a lot of stuff is going down these days. And um, I moved to Duluth uh, after college. And so there's been this um, not tension or I don't I don't know. There's just like a, kind of like a feeling in my heart a little bit of like I'm so I feel like I'm so far away sometimes from like not the action, but like my sister's kind of in the thick of it. And, you know, my friends are still kind of in the thick of it. And I'm just like, I don't want to be in the thick of it anymore. You know, it's, you know, brother, it's pretty quiet up here in Duluth. Um, but I just, I still don't want to lose my connection to being helpful, you know? Mm. And I don't, I don't want to lose my connection to like the place I come from. You know, like, that's still my hometown. You know, like with Dante, like, that was just one it was like pretty much right next door to my it was right where my elementary school was where he was shot and it's just like that's still a part of me and that's still a part of us right like we're all still you know we're we're in this together no matter kind of where you are we're kind of always eternally connected and i and i don't i just didn't want to lose that so i'm like where's my where's my space in this like where's my spot in this and it's so fun because my sister and i we love each other so much, mm. but we are almost like, sometimes it is like we are night and day on like <laughs> things that we're interested in and things like that we do. But like, it's so fun to like, we think about it that like we're fighting together just like on different fronts. And it's so cool mm. um, to be like, sure, we're not tackling, you know, the same genre, but we're tackling the same issues. And just in a different way. And that's what needs to be done, right? A lot of little things and a lot of little different areas, right? And that's, it's cool to be part of that community. And I love that. That's great. Thank you so much. And so, um, yeah, I want to go back to the hike for a moment. So you mentioned having heard from your friend about um, this trail that you could hike that was over a thousand miles. Um, and you decided to move forward with that and talked about the preparation for that. But could you tell us a little bit more about why you chose to go when you chose to go? Because I'm thinking of the weather in Wisconsin and you've been very like forthright about sharing your experience in the weather. And I'm just, uh, for a lot of people, it's like, wow, uh, January through March, that's, that's a really um, cold and icy time. Why did you go at that time? And could you tell us more about that experience? For sure. Yeah, I, um, my, my, job as a profession is I'm a gardener. I garden for a historic home here in Duluth called Glensheen. And I love this job, A, because I love gardening, but B, because I get three months off in the winter. Okay. And I always tell people, like, if I could grant anybody a wish they didn't know that they would want, it would be to give them three months off from their job, no matter how much you love it. It's just, it's so, it's, anyway, that's a different tangent, I guess. So it was all I had, the, I had the time in the winter, <laughs> long story short. Um, so yeah, I left at the very, very tail end of December. We spent, Diggins, the dog I took, we spent New Year's on the trail and um, yeah, it was awesome. And you know what? Like I grew up in Minnesota and I don't mind the winters. And it's kind of funny because I'm looking at doing a trail in Oregon called the Oregon Desert Trail. Mm. And like that seems way, it's 700 miles, so it's, it's less miles. Um, but it seems way scarier to me to be out in the desert in the winter time than it does out in the snow in the winter time, just because I'm not in that like mindset of how to survive in the desert and like snow, whatever desert, <laughs> you know? Wow. Okay. But wait, so what, what do you, how do you prepare to be, so I, I understand that you're from Minnesota, but I'm imagining that like most people who live in cold places, you're not, you know, spending an inordinate amount of time outside 
hiking 20 miles a day, I think is what she mentioned. So having, um, how do you prepare for that? And what is your daily experience of that? For sure, man, it's such a, it's, you're right. It is a completely different life out on the trail because you don't have a home to just like hang out in, right? You're like just walking outside. Um, So I knew that a few things were extremely important to me. Um, One of them, we'll just start from head to toe, right? So having just good outerwear and um, a lot of the stuff that I didn't know about, I really like looked on forums. I have a couple friends who do skijoring, which is skiing with a dog and dog sledding. Um, And they do a lot of winter expeditions in the Boundary Waters here. So I asked them a lot of questions about uh, being out in the winter. So I knew I wanted layers, lots of thin layers where I could get those from. Um, my hands, making sure that my hands were good. Um, it was, I had, I don't know, three, four different pairs of like gloves slash mittens on this trip while I was hiking. And boots and socks, making sure that they're good. I was like looking at ratings. I like tested it in a couple different boots and like chose a couple pair, you know, to bring with me at separate times on the trip. Like, um, and then the other thing was like sleeping and how to sleep. And um, I was in an airport coming back from I was I was out doing a shoot in Idaho uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was like, oh, I gotta I gotta find a good sleeping bag. I like just like splurge bought this sleeping bag that had the best reviews. Um, it's from Western Mountaineering. It's like a negative thirty degree bag. And again, like looked online and looked for resources um, to figure out the best way to sleep at night. Right? Because when you're tired, you don't think clearly. You don't make wise decisions. Um, and I was already going to be tired anyway, so I don't want to be even more tired. Um, and then I thought about food, making sure I brought enough food. I have a whole spreadsheet of like calorie count and like stuff I needed to bring, everything like that. I looked at other people's calorie counts for winter through hikes. And then um, I brought a dog and she came around. You don't have to have a dog to go through hiking. I just like having a dog along. Um, she came around, somebody recommended that I post on a mushing site. So dog mushers are like the person who drives a dog sled and to ask if anybody would let me borrow their dog for the winter. And I was like, uh, I don't know if anybody's going to say yes. And uh, one, one family did say yes. And they had Diggins, which is the dog that um, we now own, but I, bar- I was borrowing for the trip. Um, and it was so good to have her along because here's the thing, right? People are, are afraid of like the cold, the hot, the whatever, the animals. But honestly, one of the hardest things about a trip is the mental stamina, right? Your brain will want to give up long before your body will. And the, you know, I did my best before to just like walk on the roads for a long time and just like make my brain as bored as possible. Um, but there's nothing, there's really nothing like it, um, except for when you're on the trail and you just have to push through that mental part. And I learned that having a dog along um, helps. It doesn't cure it, that boredom and isolation and and feeling alone, but it does help. So there's a lot of things to think about. Now that I look back on it, I'm like, there's a lot of things to think about. When I was preparing for it, it just seemed normal. (laughs) Yes. It sounds like you were in a flow as you were preparing and that um, the people were were aiding you, but you were also sort of where you needed to be um, mentally as you prepared for that. You mentioned um, having been on a shoot in Tennessee. Uh, I've noticed, and a lot of people will notice from um, your social media, that perhaps with your work with Glensheen and in other ways as well, that you have really found ways to um, be connected with brands and represent the outdoors and outdoors outdoor work. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how that connected to what you ended the, the, How How did this connect to how you shared your story about this hike? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think my hope is, right, like that outdoor brands continue to diversify their their branding, I guess, in a whole bunch of different ways. Just like the people that you see, the abilities that you see, the body shapes that you see, like, like don't even get me into like different body shapes. Like, I just wish, <laughs> I just wish. Yeah, that's, I wish more people could see more people that just look like them in all aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and in any way that I could be helpful with that, that's what I want to focus on. You know, um, I've been modeling for Duluth Trading for, I think this will be my third year working for them. And it's been so fun. And like, they've been working on diversifying their brand. Um, and I'm hoping to, um, I'll be working with Fjell Raven, which is another outdoor brand. They're Swedish. So 
for them to diversify, I think is a really big deal. Um, and I just want to work with these people to be like, I still want other folks to know that if you don't check the boxes that you feel like need to be checked to be outdoorsy or like a through hiker or like whatever, I want you to feel like you put those boxes, you check the boxes, you put the boxes there, you can check them on your own. It's not like somebody needs to place that box there for you. Um, and it's easier to um, want to go out and do the thing if you've already seen somebody that looks like you who did it. And it's such a, oh, for people who don't understand it, it's like so hard to explain, right? Because these people have been seeing people that look like them for ages. Um, and it's just like, ah, the more, the more we diversify everything, right? The easier it is for the world to be cohesive. It's easier for um, minorities to progress, for people who are marginalized to progress, like just all these different things. So um, anyway, you know, that's, that's why it's really meaningful to me as well. And I'm, I'm super pumped that I get to help out with that. Hmm. It's really fun to look at your, um, your modeling for Duluth Trading Company. I wonder too, if, did that help you to like reach out to brands or help you to think about how to reach out to brands? Uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, having to source your food and having to source equipment. How were you able to forge those relationships and um, how did you know what you could reach out for and tell us more about that? I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, the way I started working for Duluth Trading was, was actually, off of a Craigslist ad, I'm going to be straight and honest with you. An old roommate of mine, her stepdad found a Craigslist ad back in the day when they would post on Craigslist to find new talent. That's how I got involved with them. Um, but every other brand uh, has come out of this trip specifically. Um, I did my best to find, except for Granite Gear. Granite Gear, who sponsored my backpack, they've been on board since day one. Um, and I know Granite Gear came about. Um, through Duluth Trading, uh, through the Ice Age Trail organization. Um, and it's kind of like the flow of connectedness of people for the Granite Gear. But all these other businesses and, and brands uh, didn't really hop on board until after my trip. Okay. Um, so I'm still learning the world of like what I want to do with brands and, and everything like that. And it's fun. It's so complicated, but it's really fun. It's like a whole new journey for me. Okay, there's now there are like so many things, but I want to go back to food and calorie count and just staying safe on the trail and making sure that you were taking care of yourself. How did you make those decisions? How did you take care of yourself? I saw that you had some um, friends at a, a local shop that was able to help you with salami, but like I wonder what was that like? Your pack, how heavy was your pack again? 65 pounds. 65 pounds. Yeah, she was a big what, girl. <laughs> <laughs> did you name your pack? Yeah, Glenn Beulah. Cause it just sounds like a big, like it sounds just like a big farm girl's name, Glen Beulah. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you have to put in Glen Beulah? Like what, what are you carrying? What are your provisions like? Six right. Months. Right. Yeah. And food is, a it's a heavy, food's heavy. Um, food and water are very heavy. I looked online and they're like, you'd pretty much need to double your calorie count. If not, or just, you pretty much just eat as much as you can. And um, yeah, I, was sponsored by Northern Water Smokehouse, which is in Duluth. My partner works for them um, and they do smoked meats. And one thing that's really great about bringing smoked meats is that it, well, in the winter, you can bring anything because it's frozen outside, which is awesome. But um, it lasts a long time. It's really high in fat, high in calories, high in protein. It's just packed with a bunch of good stuff that you need. Um, other things for food, lots of Snickers, lots of Cliff Bars, um, lots of freeze-dried food um, and I just like I said I kept a spreadsheet of kind of how many calories per and like you just fit calories kind of in everything so I don't know if you know what Nido is but it's like a powdered milk that you make for children mostly um, and you can put that uh, in your pack of or with your pack of um, like hot cocoa so then you're getting those extra fatty calories in that way. You can put it with your coffee. You can put it in your oatmeal. So you're kind of just like shoving calories every which way you can. And the other cool part about this trip is that so many people stepped up to the plate to leave trail magic and all this other stuff. Trail magic is like food, water, clothes. Um, and they'll leave them on the trail for you actually with like your name on it. And so many people left trail magic that... Um, 
I, I kind of started leaving some of my food behind in my boxes. And you mentioned um, people driving out to meet me. I had a great group of people. I had like eight or nine friends who said yes to driving around all around Wisconsin to come find me <laughs> in the middle of nowhere sometimes and bring me fresh clothes, fresh food, and all these boxes I packed before. So like our living room, our house looked like a gigantic Costco pretty much because we just had food and clothes everywhere. Um, and I got these boxes full of all the things I would need out to my friends and I had them on a schedule and they would come find me and bring me new stuff. So, um, that's not always the way you have to do it on a through hike. A lot of people send themselves stuff in the mail on this trail. There's not a whole lot of post offices you can stop at. You'd have to maybe hitchhike to the post office. It's really hard to hitchhike in Wisconsin. Um, or they just set it up to make sure that they're stopping at grocery stores along the way. And also the Ice Age Trail only is a few spotty areas. Um, so I wanted to make sure I was setting myself up well, because it is winter and you don't really want to risk, you know, hunger and dehydration and hypothermia and all this stuff. So You're listening to a special interview with Emily Ford, the first woman, first African-American and first LGBTQ American to complete a winter through hike of the 1200 mile Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin. Tell us about how you found places to um, to sleep at night. Like, what was what was your approach to that? Yeah, like, I, <laughs> yeah, such a good question because <laughs> I'm kind of boggled by it myself sometimes. I did have an itinerary. Um, I made sure that my mileage was checked up because I have to get you know I had to get back to work. Um, you know, I can't just not work for the rest of my life. I do have responsibilities, so I had to make sure I could get finished the trail in time. Um, so sometimes it would just be on the itinerary, which would mean um, uh, campsites that were on the way that the trailhead made or, um, you know, connecting with businesses. I called a couple businesses before I left to see if I could just stay out on their property. Um, and they were super awesome. Uh, they said yes, and that was super fun. The downside came was when I did not realize and didn't even think about how campgrounds would have been closed or work were closed in the wintertime. So I had some gaps in my itinerary. Um, so sometimes when I was going through like a small town, I would just like cold knock on people's doors to ask if I could like sleep in their yard. And it went well uh, most of the time. There's just one time where a guy said no, um, which is kind of a bummer. I had to find somewhere else to stay. I got a ride to a motel that night. Um, and other times when it was like super cold outside, um, I would scroll through my Instagram and like my DMs and stuff and people were offering like left and right to house myself in diggings over nighttime. And so sometimes day of, I would text these people and be like, Hey, do you mind picking me up so I can stay indoors tonight? And you know, whatever, what have you. And they'd be like, Oh, for sure. Just let me know. And like, I know people were working from home because you know, we're still in the, in the throes of COVID. But I mean, a lot of these people were just like, throwing their nightly plans away to come pick me up and, uh, you know, let me stay at their houses and like, they would feed me, let me take a shower. So the places I stayed, we kind of like were the run of the mill. Um, it kind of varied from everything. It was kind of day to day deciding on what was going to happen next. Wow. So you were knocking on doors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I heard you share that uh, uh, once somebody called the police, can you yes. tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, it was so cold and I was going through this little town and it looked like it, the place I found looked like a business connected to um, a, a home. So I was like, cool. I wonder if they just let me stay in one of their outbuildings. And I knocked on the door or I didn't even make it to the door. The dude saw me walk through his yard and I was like, hey, is there anywhere? He's like, he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't feel good about that. I don't feel as like, OK. I'm like, are you serious? Like, really? He's like, no, nah, I don't feel good about that. So I moved on to his neighbor's house. And ended up just chatting with him. He's like, well, I don't think my wife would be okay with it and all this other stuff. And I was like, okay, well, I got to move on or whatever. And this was the guy that ended up giving me a ride to the hotel or motel. But anyway, this dude and I are just kind of, you know, chit-chatting, whatever, in his entryway. And all of a sudden we hear cop cars, like, or well, we hear a car is pull up to his driveway. And I was like, oh, your wife must be home. And he's like, my wife doesn't drive. And I was like, well, somebody's in your driveway. And then we heard the radios. Uh, that you know police officers wear on their person and I was like I think the cops are here and they're I I ended up tucking behind the door just because it was a narrow entryway 
And the cop was like, hey, have you seen a lost hiker? <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> I think I'm the lot. Like, I'm right here. <laughs> and um, I thought it was funny. Um, I still think it's funny. But I don't know what the neighbor's intentions were. I don't try to lay on that too long to think about what his intentions were. But nothing bad happened. And um, I took a selfie with the cops and called it good. <laughs> okay. Emily Ford made clear that she does not ascribe any particular motive to that Wisconsin man's decision to call the police on her. But it's a good time to stop here and say that particularly because she is African-American, Emily Ford's solo hike carries weighty historical significance. The racial and social justice movements of 2020 have forced us to reckon as a nation with disparities in all aspects of American life. African-American activists and everyday citizens have raised their voices to protest the general lack of safety that continues to haunt their daily lives. Whether traveling in cars, walking down sidewalks, sitting in restaurants, or even sleeping in their beds, African-Americans have never had the same expectations of safety that many other citizens enjoy in this country. Further, nature has historically been the site of racial violence and terrorism directed at African-Americans from the founding of our nation. And this shameful legacy endures. Last year, in July 2020, just months before Emily Ford's hike, an African-American man was physically pinned to a tree and suffered an attempted lynching by five Caucasian-American men while visiting Lake Monroe with friends in Indiana. In Washington state, in June 2020, a multiracial family was confronted at a camping goods store by a large armed group who accused them of being Antifa members, trailed them to their campground, and then trapped them on their campsite with felled trees. In 2015, an entire African-American family reunion was violently run off their campsite in California's Sierra Nevada foothills by a neighboring group of Caucasian-American campers hurling weapons and racial slurs. As a lone African-American woman and openly gay American, Emily Ford was valiantly hiking and camping in the face of a prevalent history of violence and terrorism targeting African-Americans and other marginalized citizens in our nation. Later in the interview, I asked Emily Ford more about the meaning of race, gender, and identity on the trail. I wonder about how race and gender impacted your experiences on the trail. Um, you mentioned that being in Minnesota, perhaps particularly, uh, that you don't necessarily encounter a lot of people of color who are um, doing the, the types of hikes that you are doing, doing the, the types of work that you're doing. I wonder how, how did people respond to encountering an African-American woman um, on the trail? What, what were your experiences? Yeah, I think a lot of people were really excited, to be honest, which is such a good response. Um, and I really appreciated that response, to be honest. Um, and I, I think any forms of issues that I had, you know, like if it was like racism or anything like that, nothing was ever intended to be harmful. It's more of just like uneducated people, I guess, who don't quite know the words to say all the time um, in light of, you know, all the situations we're encountering right now. Um, so a lot of people were, were really, really fiercely excited, which made me more excited. And I was really thankful for that um, back home and in Wisconsin and kind of all over the country. So I was really appreciative of that. How did, how did you respond then? Um, you mentioned that there were people who didn't necessarily have um, negative intent, but didn't maybe didn't know what to say about encountering an African-American or encountering a woman who was doing what you were doing. How did you respond? Could you give us like an example and what do you think was gained from it? Yeah, I think a lot of times I didn't exactly know what to say when I was like, uh, like, you know, my, my main example is like, oh, so it's so good to see you out here. And you know what, like what they mean is like, it's cool to see an African-American black woman, blah, blah, blah out here. And 
always in my mind when somebody says that, I'm always like, do you say that to your white friends that like you see on the, tra- do you say that to everybody you see on the trail? Like, I know you're excited, but you know, um, so I, I didn't always know what to say to that. Cause I'm like, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm just like trying to be an example out here. <laughs> um, you know, but when I hear or heard this, cause this example, this next example is not specifically about me, but it is about a people group. Um, I was, I was able to stay with some Amish folks when I was out on the trail and they are super, they are super generous. At least the ones I ran into are super generous group of people. Um, it's kind of in their culture to be quite generous. Um, and after I stayed with them, I encountered a different group of people and they really, they really like picked on the Amish, like not, you know, like, like kind of like school bully them when they were talking about them. And I was like, remember hiking with these folks. And I turned around, I was like, dude, like, why are you guys so mean to the Amish? And they're like, oh, we're just joking. And I'm like, that's not that you don't joke like that about people. And you don't make fun of people like that. You know, that's just not cool. And like, I think they were kind of taken aback. So I don't think that the Amish have always, I think people are just so like everything, right? People don't understand their culture. They're not willing to understand their culture. There's a lot of assumptions, right? Because there's TV shows about them. And so the people think that's their culture and that's how it is. And and that's that's just the knowledge they go based off of. <clears throat> and so I'm hoping to just like, if I want people to stand up for me. I want to stand up for other people in those instances. And I'm w- willing to call that out. Sometimes in my own instance, when I'm experiencing it, it's just like a blur in my head. I don't always know what to say, if that makes sense. Mm. Also, because I've been dealing with it my whole life. And I'm like, this feels so normal. And I know that it's not right, but it feels normal. And I, I'm so tired. I just want to keep hiking, <laughs> you know. Could you tell us about, you took a zero day. And so for a lot of us, I, I, I'm one of those people who only does day hikes. Um, so I, that concept was one that I hadn't heard about before. When you planned your itinerary, how many days did you give yourself? How many days did you plan to hike? <laughs> and um, can you tell us about your decisions and, and your zero days, all that kind of stuff? Like <laughs> you're shaking your head. <laughs> yeah, I am. Well, well, tell us why you're shaking your head. I, so for 12, so for hiking 1200 miles, originally I gave myself one zero day. And what a zero day is, is it's when you take a whole day off. Um, you don't hike any miles. You hang around. You usually just eat as much food as you can. Um, and you rest your body and, and get some extra sleep in and everything like that. And, uh, oh man, I don't know why. I don't know what I was thinking to just give myself one zero. I mean, think about it. You work, you, maybe you work for five days a week and then take two days off, or maybe you work six days a week and take a day off, but at least you take a day off during your work week. Right. I was just like, la la la, huh, who cares? Who needs to rest? Whatever. Well, that ended up biting me in the butt. Um, I ended up taking three zero days and Mike Summers, the, the dude before me, he ended up taking five zero days, which totally makes sense. Um, so moral of the story, everybody, is learn how to rest. I am not very good at resting. I'm the worst at resting. Like these days sleeping in for me is like 7 a.m. And I'm like, let's start this day, you know. Um, and my body started to my body started to kind of reject that, which is really good. You got to listen to your body. Um, I had a bit of a quad slash knee issue in the beginning. So like on day six, um, I had to take a zero day and I felt so stupid, but it was so good. It was such a good reality check um, to remind myself that I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm still a human. I still need to rest. Um, I ended up taking another one just for like mental health. Just like I was getting frustrated with myself. I was getting frustrated with my dog and I was like, we just need to take a zero day. And I took my one planned final zero day. Um, and that was awesome. That was a really good feeling. So Yeah, give yourself more rest than you think you're going to (laughs) need. Emily Ford's 1,200-mile winter through-hike of the Ice Age Trail took her across much of Wisconsin, with a portion of the trail running along the eastern part of the state, near frigid Lake Michigan. On December 28, 2020, the day she set off on her hike, the high temperature at the Ice Age Trailhead was 33 degrees. But weather reports show that throughout her 69-day hike, she faced grueling below-freezing temperatures, as daily lows and overnight temps often plummeted to zero and as low as single 
and double-digit negative zero-degree temperatures. Emily Ford hiked over 20 miles a day in these conditions. I asked her to tell us more about hiking, camping, and surviving the Ice Age Trail in winter. So you, you started your hike on December 28th, and you continued all the way through March 6th. How many days were you planning to hike? Um, and how many days did you um, end up hiking? Yeah, so I planned my trip for 65 days. Um, and I ended up with 69 days. So that's not bad. Uh, being only off by four days, I was pretty pleased with that, actually. Um, especially when I hit kind of deeper snow and ended up hiking a little bit slower than I expected. Tell us about the elements. How deep was the snow? What was the deepest snow that you encountered? Um, what was the average temperature? And what were some of the colder days that you hiked through? Yeah, man, after it started snowing. So when I started heading back north, we would hit spots with like two feet deep of snow. And I ended up getting rid of my snowshoes in the beginning because for the first like 500 miles, there wasn't really much snow. Um, so I was like, well, I don't really want to carry this weight. So we ended up post tolling, which is like your feet just like going into the snow and not being able to walk on it for miles. Um, that was not always ideal. And on the, the bookends of the trip, so in the beginning and the end, the weather was actually pretty nice. Um, I found myself some days um, just hiking in like my long underwear. It was really nice. Um, so the, I mean, the average, I'm sure sounds great. I'm sure it was like at above zero for sure. Um, but then we hit some gnarly cold. There was like two weeks of just like some gnarly cold and windy. Um, and I stayed in this night, but when I woke up the next morning, we checked the thermometer and it was like negative 37 degrees. No, negative 30 something. It was like negative 30 something degrees. I don't remember now uh, when I woke up and, uh, we just, I just, we went to a coffee shop and waited for it to warm up to like negative 19 degrees <laughs> and then just kind of hiked through that. The, the coldest that we slept in was around negative 23, negative 25. Um, and that was, that was pretty cold, but I mean, you can, you can sleep in cold weather. Millions of people for, you know, thousands of years have been sleeping in cold weather. So. Okay. Yeah. Now, Emily Ford, tell us how we sleep in 20 in <laughs> degree weather. Cause I, I don't. <laughs> tell us, tell right. us this. Yeah. So like I said, one of the main things is knowing um, that you need to, you need to change your clothes. You have to get out of the clothes you've hiked in. Even if you don't feel like you have sweat, sweated, you have, um, you sweat sitting at your desk. Your socks are usually pretty damp, even just by sitting at your desk. And we just don't know that because we just live in it, but you will know it as soon as it gets cold outside. So change your clothes. Um, have a good sleeping bag, have enough insulation under your body. So a lot of people know about like sleeping pads. I brought two along. One was a foam one and one you blew air into. Um, and uh, wear layers when you go to bed as well. Um, change your socks and all everything like that. When it's ultra cold outside, you, what I do is I boil water, put it in a Nalgene or a water bottle that can hold something that, that has, can hold hot water. I put that in a, a koozie, right, that goes around it. And if you don't have a koozie, you can wrap it up in your clothes um, and then stick that in your sleeping bag. Because sleeping bags don't um, warm you. They use your own body heat and heat that's already inside the bag and they insulate you from the cold. So you make your own warmth and the bag holds it in. So if you have that extra hot water bottle in there, um, that helps. Also, eat food. Like, I would keep Snickers with me in my sleeping bag. And if I, like, woke up because I was chilly, I would, like, crinkle the Snickers open and just, like, <laughs> to, like eat it with my eyes closed and just, like, throw the wrapper, like, uh, at the bottom. And I would just, like, fall asleep partway eating a Snickers, you know. But your body will work on breaking that down and your stomach will work on breaking that down. And that does create body heat. Um, and sometimes I would take the Nalgene and just, like, I would drink hot water as I was going to bed too. So anything like that, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And keeping your head covered. I have a lot of hair, but keeping your head covered is, a, is, a, is very important. You lose a lot of heat to the top of your head, no matter how much hair you do or do not have. 
Thank you so much for that. So you're wearing like, I guess like a wool cap and you're wearing, yeah, yeah. yeah. What was your sleeping bag rated? Negative 30 degrees. Wow. Yeah. And, and still I'm, I'm not, and you mentioned that. So you said like your good weather was above zero degrees. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Once it got above zero, I was like, oh yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was awesome. A good day. So if you're walking around and it's five degrees outside, you feel amazing. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you're, you're, you know, when you're carrying that much weight on your back, you know, I had a dog pulling me, I had, you know, you're moving, you're going up and down hills, you'll, you'll sweat. Even if it's, you know, below zero outside, if the sun is out, it's a game changer. That sun, it will heat you up very fast, even when it's cold outside. Uh, was there a lot of snow on the ground? I'm thinking of the sun in your eyes and all of that. Like, um, uh, how did you deal with that on a daily basis? Was there a lot of snow? After a little bit after the middle of my trip, so after about mile 500, there was more snow. In the beginning, there wasn't so much, and in the beginning, a lot of those trails are, um, I don't know, more heavily used than the trails towards the end. So they were kind of packed down a bit more. Um, when it was really sunny out, or like really really windy, or I don't know, whatever, I had ski goggles with me that are tinted. Um, so it would keep the cold off my face and keep the sun out of my eyes and everything like that. And I would just switch out my glasses for those goggles. It's yeah. amazing. I think that so for so many people, the idea of being out in those types of temperatures, I, I know that for you, maybe it uh, it doesn't seem so extreme, but I think for many people, it, it certainly does. It, it, um, what so many of us have been impressed by is really not just not only your perseverance in hiking that 1200 miles in the amount of time that you did that, but uh, doing so in the winter, doing so under extreme circumstances, and then also adding to that the courage it takes to, to sleep outdoors. Even if you're in on somebody's property, you, you didn't go in often. Like how many nights did you spend inside, like inside a building? Uh, I don't know. More than I, more than I wanted to. But I think it was it was a, just a wise decision at the time, you know. Uh, but I don't remember how many days exactly. Well, there can't have been many. I hope because I'm I'm seeing that you're you said that you were sleeping outside in negative twenty five, negative you know uh, negative twenty five degrees. So it's just um, I think for many of us, it's that portion of it is really astounding. Um, it takes an extraordinary amount of of courage, and not just like social fortitude, but like the fortitude, uh, the faith that you've had in your body, I think, um, uh, to do that work. What has it been like for your body? How has your body been adjusting now that you're back? Did you deal with frostbite or anything like that? Yeah, my fingers and toes are still pretty sensitive to the cold. Um, and I did get a little bit of frostbite on my backside, on my, on my butt. Um, mm -hmm. So it, that's all healed up. There's just scars there now, mostly. Um, my knee is better. I'm back in the gym. So that's good to like, I feel good about re-strengthening my body the way I like to have it strengthened. When you hike, you lose just a lot of weight and a lot of just like your bulky muscles and you kind of turn into like this lanky twig thing. Um, so it's good to kind of get back in that. Um, but I just started getting back in the gym and like re, um, re-strengthening my body in that way. So nothing too bad res residual over. Um, I do have a massage therapist in Duluth that I frequent. Uh, so I make sure that, you know, he helps me keep up on my body. My partner um, is currently in uh, yoga teaching school. So I also have somebody here that um, can help me be mindful to how my body is doing and can help me stretch and keep strong and everything like that. So it's all about being mindful uh, about how you feel in your body. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I've read that you have been deadlifting uh, for some time and that you have also uh, done other things athletically. Do you play rugby? I did play rugby in, in college. I did. Oh, it was such a fun time in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. So um, having a background in rugby, having a background in um, weightlifting, and, and did you weightlift competitively? Do you continue to weightlift competitively? I had a short stint competing competing with weightlifting. Um, but I. I haven't since COVID has come around. Okay. Okay. So how do you think that aided you and what other things did you do? What, what did you do physically to prepare yourself for the hike? Yeah, this is, well, this is kind of a PSA for anybody that, uh, that wants 
I don't know, to do anything with their body that's physical. Lifting weights, is, it's just good for you um, as, as a whole. Keeping your body strong, even if, you're just, if the weight you're lifting is your body, like doing stuff at home, uh, it's just so good for you. Um, it will help just like in longevity when you're doing um, athletic sort of things. So there's, there's a physical aspect of it, but then there's the mental aspect of you know, pushing through, doing something that's difficult. Um, lifting something that's heavy and just keep going forward and understanding that um, there is a reward at the end, even if it's difficult right now, what you're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm super thankful for my athletic background. And there's just a mindset of athletes in in, in the sports that I played. Um, I've just like push through it, push through it, push through it. You can do this. Like you're stronger than you think you're stronger than your body feels right now. I'm super thankful for my past coaches that have helped me through Um, a lot of tough spots physically. Um, It was really helpful. How did you grow up? Are you an outdoorsy person? How have your like younger experiences, formative experiences, you think impacted your decisions um, about this hike even? Yeah, I, the way I grew up, I'm super fortunate. Um, I grew up in the Twin Cities and uh, my mom was a single mom after I was five, after the age I five yeah and um she did her best to raise us and everything and it was super awesome because about that time my parents got divorced my grandparents really kind of stepped up to the plate and they had a farm in northern minnesota a very small town called jacobson and uh it was kind of there that i got to experience the freedom of like the wild because my grandpa had like hundreds of acres and i could just run around and and what have you um and then back home in the cities my mom had this uh, awesome garden like our backyard if I'm remembering this correct our backyard was like almost like 40 percent garden if I remember okay and like my mom grew vegetables and fruits and like that's where I really learned how to do you know the gardening portion of my life is between my grandparents and my mom and doing all that but I just remember always liking to be dirty I loved being in the dirt I loved having my hands in the dirt and like whatever and like digging and like building little like houses and all this stuff out of the mud um and we did spend time outside as a larger family cousins and gen- and everybody else but it was doing mostly like motor motor sports so like four-wheeling or snowmobiling stuff like that so that's kind of what we did and fishing and hunting and everything like that i got into backpacking and like this type of stuff not until i was in college and the more thereafter in college, we took these spring break trips for the geology courses I was in. And we would have to camp for those trips. When I graduated from, graduated from college, one of the jobs I had for the university, um, I had to camp the whole time. It was for a couple months. And then I live in Duluth and Duluth is like a great spot to really get into backpacking. So like I saved up my little pennies and like started buying gear a little bit here and there with whatever I could. And um, I think I started out on my first trip was like 30 miles my second trip was like 100 miles and so on just like keep adding up and so forth as you you know get better at backpacking can you remember your earliest ever hike your earliest ever walk uh your earliest ever trek the first like sleeping outside in the wilderness was with my childhood best friend's family from jacobson minnesota where my grandparents were and her family took me and her up to the Boundary Waters. Um, and we canoed, we had paddled out, and we stayed for a couple of nights out on an island out there. And it was, it was like the coolest thing. I, I loved it so much, like just cooking food over a fire and paddling and like being able to swim in the lake and go fishing. Like that was that. And, but solo backpacking, I really didn't do it till I was in my 20s and I moved to Duluth. Um, I hadn't really done anything like it before before moving up here. Um, and I took, oh my gosh, for anybody that feels like discouraged or feels like they can't go backpacking or like anything like this, like let me tell you about my first trip by myself. I brought the worst stuff, like, whew. I brought like glass jars. Oh, wow. I brought a three-person tent for just myself because that's all I had at the time. I brought a full kitchen set instead of just like one pot. I brought liquids that I did not need to bring. I brought clothes I did not need. I brought, 
I brought stuff. I brought books that I did not read because I was only out for a few nights. I mean, my backpack was so heavy. And um, this is before I had a dog too. And uh, I loved it. It didn't matter how hard it was. I just, I really loved it because there's an essence, right? And, and I was meant to say this earlier, like, like, why do I want to sleep outside in the winter? And why do I like to sleep outside at all? Because there is a, there is an exclusive difference when you are sleeping outside and you wake up at night and you see this sky full of stars, right? And it's so quiet. And there's, you can't get that while you're inside your house and like breathing in the freshest air that you can possibly breathe and hearing all of these different animals around you. You kind of get a sense of like, you know, what they're doing with their life on the trail and everything like that. And you just can't get that in your house, you know? So all these like early memories of where it was like really difficult, I just, I don't remember hating it. I remember really loving it a lot. I wanna know more about how your family responded when you decided to do this trip. You've talked about your mom and your sister and your partner. What was that like for them? And what was their response? Yeah. Um... My family was like, that sounds about right. Uh, you know, I've, I've always, I've always wanted to, I always do goofy things. When I was younger, like when I was 12, I asked my mom one, one week, I was like, can I wake up super early on Saturday and like go hike the railroad tracks as far as I can, you know? And I woke up at like three on that Saturday with like some peanut butter and crackers and like a backpack and my CD player and like, just walked the railroad tracks as far as I could. So it's kind of just in my nature to do goofy things. And with my partner, we like just made a plan of like, how often do we talk? Like, this is going to be like, this can be hard, but it's going to be good. And just, you know, working through a lot of that stuff. So my partner is very encouraging, even through hard stuff. And I really appreciate that. It's amazing. And Diggins. So Diggins, the dog mm-hmm. um, is a husky. What, what kind of husky is Diggins? She is an Alaskan Husky. She's a black Alaskan Husky. Yeah. And tell us about Diggins and what makes Diggins special. Um, Yeah, she's a fantastic dog. She um, is a sled dog. Um, She ran, she ran and raced. Um, She's a lead dog. So that's the dog that's at the front. So she's very smart. She's very good at listening when she wants to. Um, She's pretty small. She weighs about 45 pounds, but she's extremely strong. Um, and she's named after our skier, uh, Jesse Diggins, who is an Olympic athlete and is just a monster. And, and that name is so good for Diggins the dog um, because she too can just go and go and go and doesn't complain and is happy-go-lucky and is excited to be with you. Um, and it was just awesome to have her along. And I'm super thankful. So I took there's like a month and a half where she went back home and I asked the family if we could borrow her for a trip for the weekend. And it ended up that weekend that we asked if we could keep her. And they said, yeah, absolutely. She's all yours. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so it's been, it's been really good to have her. We're working on her being a house dog. It's a bit of a different world for a sled dog that usually sleeps outside their entire life to come inside the house. So that's amazing. We're how, working on it. How old is uh, Diggins the dog? Oh, she is three years old. She turned three February 21st. Wow. It's a lot of snow for, for a young dog. She's like breaking the trail for you. And you mentioned that she's pulling you. Yeah. So the technical way I went across the ice age trail is called can across can of hiking. And anytime you do a can of anything, um, a dog is pulling. So there's like bike joring, there's ski joring, um, there's can across, which is running. um, And it was awesome to have her along. She doesn't pull. So I'm running. She's just kind of tugging. Um, There was no running for me on that trip with my heavy backpack on. (laughs) And you had um, trek poles as well. Yes, absolutely. I used to make fun of people that use trekking poles and like be like, ah, that's just for old ladies. Look, I'm 28 years old and I love my (laughs) trekking poles so much. (laughs) You mentioned that you talked to Diggins a lot on your trip. Um, I've, I've heard you say that elsewhere. What did you talk to Diggins about? Oh, man. I talked to her about everything. And here's the thing. When you decide to do a solo hike, it is also up to you to face your own mental challenges. Um, You can distract your brain with almost anything. But when when mental things would like come up, past history, like things I needed to work through in my life, 
um, I would really just like speak it out loud to her and be like, Diggins, this was a situation. This is how I feel, blah, blah, blah. Or I just talk to her about herself. Um, sometimes I would like over explain humanity to her. I'd explain like what like a movie star is. I would explain like how people become famous. I would explain like, I would just like go through different movies. I would tell her plots of movies just to pass the time. And um, I would sing, I would sing a bunch of songs to her all the time and just like sing through the woods because there's nobody out there in the middle of the winter. Um, but it was just a good way to like fill the air and fill time as it passed. Um, so she got an earful, an earful every day. <laughs> Must have been really hard to say goodbye to her. Oh, there's a, yeah. Oh, I broke down like a child. I I thought that, whew, I thought that I was like never going to be able to see her again. And just like, I bawled and like just squeezed her so tight at the end of the trip. And I got home and took a shower and I was just like bawling in the shower. Cause I was like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I miss you so much, you know? And uh it was so tough for a little while without her. Like anytime I would think about her, I would just like start crying instantly. We became such good friends and so bonded and like in a way that, you know, it's hard to describe to other people that bond, but it's, it's there, man. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, we heard that you got to talk to young people when you were out on the trail. And I wondered, what are your words of wisdom for them? And what are your words of wisdom for us? Yeah. Um, you can do anything. I, I just kept telling them that, you know, and that that's not something that I'm making up on my own. Like my mom used to tell me when I was a kid and both my sister and I, um, and this is how my sister and I became the way we are is my mom just kept telling us, you can do anything. You want to be something you, you have to work for it, but you can be that, you know? And um, I told that to these little kids. I'm like, you know what? Even if you don't see a single person that looks like you doing something you want to do, or if your family tells you that you're crazy, like, and you, but you're really passionate about this and it's not hurting anybody. That was my caveat. I said, it can't hurt yourself and it can't hurt anybody. You can't be malicious when you have these dreams. It has to be holistic. Go and do it. Figure out a way to get it done. Do the research. We're living in a world right now where you can do research. You can you can learn anything you want to do it you learn anything um and just go for it and you belong you belong in the outdoors if being in the outdoors is what you want to do man go for it even if someone tries to stop you just you you find a way around them you'll do it you'll figure it out mm. and your thoughts for uh for people of color and um for women who may have aspirations to do as you have done what what would your words be kind of on the same lines. Don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it. And, and don't let anybody, especially like for, for women, like so many people are going to tell you that you need somebody to go with you on a solo hike. You can, you can do this on your own. And if you're, if you yourself don't feel prepared, there are tons of classes out there to prepare you. There's classes like wilderness classes out there. Um, find people to go with to like get yourself prepared for it, but you will be able to go out on your own. And for people of color, I know that for centuries, you know, people of color have been like pretty near hunted at nighttime and it's scary. And I, I get that. Um, but don't let, don't let somebody else make you afraid of th something that's definitely for you and sh you have access to, and you, you, you need to experience it. I think personally. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have just had an amazing uh, discussion with Emily Ford. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been awesome. Words of wisdom from the intrepid Emily Ford, the first woman and only the second person ever to achieve a winter through hike of Wisconsin's 1,200-mile Ice Age Trail, which she completed in only 69 days. Ford is also the first African-American and first LGBTQ person to achieve this feat. Based in Duluth, Minnesota, Emily Ford is head gardener at the historic Glen Sheen Mansion. A documentary on Ford's historic adventure called Breaking Trail is now in the works. Emily shares updates on Instagram at Emily on Trail. That's Emily on Trail, all one word. Thank you, Emily Ford, for being our Matthew Henson and our Bessie Coleman for reminding us that there are so many paths that we can yet forge.
And that wraps up my interview with the amazing Emily Ford, one of a selected number of inspiring women I'm proud to be highlighting over the course of this season. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Please reach out at taralakeshow.com. That's taralakeshow.com. I'm your host, Tara Lake. Thank you so much for listening to The Tara Lake Show. 